this week we lost a true hero of the faith, uh, but his influence uh, was surely felt. Um, and I know that um, some of you may not have been directly influenced by Billy Graham, but maybe uh, maybe your parents or grandparents, you know, would have paid attention to him. Maybe um, maybe you did. Um, but he uh, he had a, a a pretty crazy influence in our world, and and especially for evangelism. And uh, ironically enough. Um, we, we had, uh, when God asked us to um, kind of stop and talk about these rubber meets the road kind of issues, uh, I felt like God wanted us to talk about evangelism this week. And with the passing of Dr. Graham, I felt like it was especially appropriate <clears throat> um, for us to talk about it. Um, you know that a couple weeks ago we started and we said we, we've got to change course. We've got we've to remain focused on the things that really, really matter. And, uh, and so last week we talked a little bit about repentance. We talked about how that was honestly the first words out of Jesus' mouth in his ministry, that he was calling us to repent, to turn from our sins and turn towards, uh, turn towards God. And, uh, and so we talked about that. We had a moment of prayer last week that I thought was really powerful, and we started our, our 40-day fast last week, which I think has been, uh, for me, um, already an excellent journey. And we've got, you know, obviously several more weeks left until uh, Easter, so, so I'm excited about where the Lord is going to take us. But um, i got to tell you, evangelism is one of those issues that um, I will go ahead and go first and say I have some weakness in this area. I have some fear in this area. And so for those of you that are feeling a little bit like um, you know that you know that evangelism or sharing the good news of Jesus Christ has, has been something maybe that you're not very focused on, um, welcome to the club because I read a stat recently that said 97% of believers have never shared their faith ever. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's Accurate, I don't know, but maybe if we were to poll our friends, our, our church, maybe for poll people around us, we would probably find out that a lot of our evangelism happens in churches. And pastors get kind of a pass because we get to quote unquote share the gospel on stage, but some of us don't necessarily, we walk off the stage, we never do it in the community or with our friends and family. And so the thing that I'm worried about um, is that we will relegate our gospel sharing to Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and the rest of the week, just pray that God opens up opportunities but never really step up. Billy Graham was a good example of someone who stepped up to make a decision. Um, I read an article about Billy Graham this week that said um, he took uh, that verse, Mark 16, verse 15, go and proclaim the gospel to all nations, um, very literally. <laughs> he, he preached 215 million people over the course of his ministry, and uh, you know, if you go YouTube uh, Billy Graham today, you'll see most of those clips. He's on a stage on like a baseball stadium or something like that, and then just people are filling the seats. People were coming in. I don't know what that world looks like, right? I don't know what that people actually wanting to come here, like cities wanting that, want to hear this message of Jesus Christ. And uh, I want us to, to take some of that influence, take some of that example, and run with that. Um, but I know it's difficult because a good number of us probably have some fear about what it looks like to share the gospel. And let's just go ahead and put it out there. What are, what are the fears? I mean, and honestly, I, I'd like to hear maybe from you some of, some of the fears in sharing the gospel. What are, what are some of the things that keep you from doing it? Not saying you do or don't do it, but like... If you have some fears, what are some fears? Hmm? Rejection. 
alienating people. Yep, not knowing answers. I don't know the Bible well enough. Anything else? All kinds of things, right? Embarrassment. Um, it's sometimes, I, I've, I've found sometimes the first sentence is the hardest. And once I get past the first sentence, it's a conversation that we're having. Um, but in most cases, it's hard to get that like, do you want to talk about this? You know, and, uh, and that can be hard, but I believe God is calling us to it. Um, and so I definitely want to talk about it. The, um, if you look at um, the Bible altogether, we're going to be mainly in Matthew chapter 5 today, um, but I want to start in Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to put a finger in both, you can. Uh, but Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. Um, but I want to remind you as you're turning there that what we talked about last, uh, the last few weeks is that uh, we believe God has a purpose for everything he's doing from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, think about it. Like, if he is going to start all of this, if he is going to go through the trouble of creating mankind, I mean, imagine that. Like, everyone has maybe their own answers for why. Like, what is the purpose for God creating mankind? And uh, maybe it's, it's to bring him glory, I've heard. Maybe it's to, um, to, to give us you know, life and, and to give us this, this story of him. But everyone has their own kind of answer on, on, on why God created mankind. But I do believe that God, if he is God, if he is perfect, if he had a plan, then from Genesis to Revelation, there has to be some sort of thread, right? There has to be some sort of purpose. And if you look all the way from Genesis to Revelation, what he is doing is he is desiring relationship with us. He is desiring, the word dwell pops up. We, we've said in the past that the eternal purpose of God is that we would dwell with him and he with us. You see that all through Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. All the way from the Garden of Eden, then we chose to obviously eat the fruit that was forbidden, and so we were cast out of the garden, um, but we still had a distant relationship with him. He would speak to us through prophets, through priests, and then obviously Israel would demand a king uh, around the middle of the Old Testament, and then uh, God would, would use different people, um, whether they be prophets, messengers, judges, to, to preach to the people or to rescue the people of God, and he would always point to this this Messiah down the road that we would eventually meet in, uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And Jesus would come to do what? He would come to dwell with us, to walk with us, to show us the path of righteousness, to show us the way to God, which was himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, I want to dwell with you forever. I want, to, uh, I want you to dwell with me. John 15 would say, as the, as the, the, the vine and the branches, you, if you don't dwell with me, you're, you're cut off. You, you've missed the, the life that I want to give you. Right? I want to give you abundant life. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. All the messages in the gospel, Jesus is con constantly saying, I want to dwell with you. I want us to be in perfect community. But obviously, there's going to need to be a Messiah. So Jesus comes to save us by dying on the cross after living a perfect life and then rising again, defeating sin and death and all of that. And then what? He, he leaves us. So what? He doesn't want to dwell with us anymore? No, he sends us a, a helper. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to, to walk with us. And that is still true today, that if you are a believer in this room, that the scriptures would say that you have a helper, a Holy Spirit inside of you, walking with you, convicting you, guiding you. And all of that 
through your life, from the, perm, the, the, the moment of salvation to the moment that you die, you have the Holy Spirit. And then what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because he wants to dwell with him. Eternity in heaven, dwelling with God. The eternal purpose of God is dwelling with him. But obviously all that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. So he, he from a distance, right? Because he, is, he, he wanted to be in perfect community with with Adam and Eve, they chose the sin, they chose the rebellion, and that fractured our relationship with God. And so we are left here, not without hope, but we have to make a decision. And Billy just made it very plain after reading the scripture, after hearing the gospel, we have to make a personal decision to accept Christ. But I want to tell you, we live in a world where people aren't trying to make that decision. And you've grown up in that world. And it's no different from when Billy was there. Now, granted, I mean, people piling into a stadium, that's nuts. But the truth is that you live in a community where people are not necessarily making that decision on their own. In most cases, what's happening is people are um, either having a friend, right, invite them to church or share the gospel with them, a family member or something like that, or they have some sort of life circumstance happen. That's why... That's why when we put the flags out, you know, for example, part of it is just to help you uh, know, you know, if you're new, know where it is. But the other part of it is I've heard so many people say, uh, people in Dublin say, yeah, we're going out for breakfast or brunch on Sunday morning. We saw the flag. That's awesome that you guys are having church. And what I know is that um, those are kind of a beacon that, hey, there's going to be a day that you want to come and uh, you know where we are and all that stuff. But but if we rely on the flags, if we rely on the fact that we're having church, if we rely on a social media post here and there, I don't think that we're going to make a difference. I don't think that we're going to make a difference. And I'm preaching as much to myself <clears throat> as I am communicating to you. I believe that this was heavy on God's heart. And I want to be a church that is surrendered. Again, remember, we are repenting. We are turning away from our sin, and we are walking towards God and his purposes. So, so we, we will continue to repent. We will continue to have lives built on a foundation of humility, on I'm not God, you are. I'm not the savior of this world or even myself. I can't cast my sins as far from the east as from the west or my neighbors, but I'm going to walk in your purposes. So there's got to be a moment where we as believers Take the step from repentance to continuing to walk in faith. Continuing to lay that foundation of repentance. Listen, repentance is not a one-time thing. And by the way, I don't think your moment of salvation, hear me clearly, I don't think your moment of salvation is a one-time thing. I'm not saying you need to get saved over and over. I'm not saying you need to walk an aisle or get baptized more than once to make sure you know, we've all had that moment. Like how many of us went to four camps and got saved four times, and, and we've all experienced that. But what I'm saying is that we need to remember that God is constantly saving us. He's not just the author of our faith. He's the what? The finisher, right? He's the sustainer. He is sustaining us and sustaining our salvation day after day. It's a relationship. If it's actually a relationship, this line that we love, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Is it? <laughs> is it or is it a decision to make a, a, a prayer and walk an aisle and get baptized and then exist till we go to heaven <clears throat> because if it's a relationship if it's going to be what we say it is then we can't just walk this road outside of our relationship 
with God. So believers, I'm calling you to live a life of repentance as we talked about last week, but to continually keep our eyes focused on the purposes. I got to be honest, that's why I felt like God called us into 40 days of prayer and fasting so that we could keep eyes on the prize, to convict us of our sin where we don't know where it is, how we're offending God, but also to reacquaint us with things that we're missing. On a very real scale, what we've talked about um, is that if this church is going to thrive into the year 2019, it's going to do it because believers decided that we want to own the mission. We want to own it. And we don't want to uh, have a herd mentality, right? Someone else will share the gospel. I think we're all guilty of that in some respects. Someone else will do this. Someone else will do this. Like, it's working. It's, um, it's not going to work unless we own our responsibility. And I would say this. I would say that maybe your relationship with God, hear me, I'm about to step on your toes pretty hard. Maybe your relationship with God is disjointed if you practically aren't engaged in his mission. Maybe my relationship with God is a little disjointed if I am more concerned about my reputation, my friends, who, how I want people to look at me, my image, right? So that I'm afraid to share the gospel when that may be the most important thing on God's heart today. So, if, if God's eternal purpose is to dwell with us and that he wills that people be saved. And, and I don't know that there's a single person in here that, that would say that God doesn't will that anyone else be saved, right? What we're not saying is, uh, is we're, we're not saying that these doors are locked on Sunday. We're going to have our service. And we're going to lock the doors because no one comes in. Like, we're all hoping, right, to make a difference in this community. We're all hoping to see Jesus work. All of this goes back. All of this goes back. Remember, so we talked about Genesis 1. There's a, there's a fracture in Genesis 3. Um, but God is going to start a program of salvation in Genesis chapter 12 with a guy named Abraham. He's going to pluck a man out of the Ur of Chaldees, a, a Babylonian essentially. <clears throat> and he is going to execute a plan to save the world through this man. Take a look with me in Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, if you will. He's going to say to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make a great nation. I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. This is God talking. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in this moment, right here, God is saying to Abraham, not, I'm going to make you a rock star, I'm going to make you a superhero, you're going to be the one wearing the cape. Although we do look to him as the grandfather of our faith. But Abraham was just the willing agent who his, his call was to leave your family, leave everything you know, your family, your father's house, leave your, your inheritance, leave your comfort, leave your, friend, leave your support system, and just go. And just trust me, because I'm going to give you the steps as you go. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make 
out of you a great nation. And if you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see this repeated in Genesis chapter 15. You'll see this repeated all through the different stages. You'll see uh, as he has kids and grandkids and, and, and grand, great-grandkids and all that, that God is executing a program through the line of Abraham. And the whole plan, the whole plan is to one day bring about a son named Jesus in Nazareth who will bring salvation to the world. All this started in the book of Genesis. Now, if you ever read the Old Testament, you know that we had some, some right turns, some left turns, some like stop signs. You know what I mean? Any of you acquainted with like right turns and left turns? You're like, I had a moment where I like got off. Yeah, 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 I'm not the only one, am I? Um, you know, sometimes we had a stop sign and then we just sat there for a while and we sat there for a while and, uh, and God is asking us to keep moving. This is, uh, this is God giving us um, the plan that he wanted to execute from the beginning. So fast forward all the way to Matthew. Remember, we started off last week by saying his, his first words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. But he's going to follow up the very next thing. What he's going to do is he's going to get a team together and he's going to give them the mission. In Matthew chapter five, uh, sorry, 4, verses um, 18 and 19, I believe. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? He's going to select his team or part of his team, and he's going to give them the mission. This is what we're going to do. And they would walk for three years from that point, and they would become fishers of men. Little did they know all that that would mean, Right? They're going on this crazy journey for three years following Jesus and, and, and following him as a rabbi, but also following him as the Son of God. And so what is happening here is you have a picture of Jesus giving these people, I will make you fishers of men. Again, leave your nets, right? You're going to see all through the Gospels when he's calling his disciples, they would drop their nets. Or, in other words, they would drop their method of of making money for their family. They would leave their jobs. They're like maybe family-run businesses. They would walk away, and they would follow this Jesus, and they would follow. Now, did they get it perfect? No. Did we get it perfect? No. They didn't get it perfect. Sometimes Peter would pop off and say, ah, I think we need to go a different direction. But all in all, you see Peter as this faithful man who, who needed to be corrected often, and that gives me so much hope because so do I, Right? needed to be corrected often, but eventually was used to do great things in the book of Acts. But, but let's not fast forward too far. Let's, let's see that he wants us to be fishers of men. In other words, you're casting your nets out for fish, for that kind of sustenance to provide for your family, to, to make money and all this stuff. And what I'm saying to you is that you are going to cast nets out. You're going to share the gospel right? You're going to, what are all the things that, that, that Jesus did? He, he performed miracles that pointed to his deity. His miracles weren't just so that we could think he's cool or it was exciting, although the people were like constantly, do it again, do it again, show us another miracle, right? Like it's a magic show. But he was pointing to his deity, but it was also pointing to their need for Jesus, whether it was their, the, the fishes and the loaves, whether he was raising someone from the dead, whether he was healing someone, he was constantly pointing to Jesus' mission, right, to God's mission of restoring us, whether it was new life or healing us from our addictions, our brokenness, our diseases, or, or, or feeding us and giving provision. These are all the things that Jesus is saying, like, you're going to find it in God. You're going to find it in God. All of these things you're going to find in God. And constantly people 
are looking, right, for fish. They're constantly looking for fish. And what God is calling us to do is to drop our nets, to drop our purposes, to drop everything and follow him. What we've said in the past is that it's, it's hard to imagine, but as much as we focus on our jobs, our houses, our cars, right, money, our, our hobbies, our, all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, when all this is over, all this boils down to us and God. When all this is over, right, this, this building is going to burn, right? Our cars, our houses are going to burn. Our bank accounts don't go to heaven, right? Nothing transfers over like college credits, right? We don't get to keep any of that stuff. Why? Because none of it matters anyway. What matters is, is God and us and God and the people he cares about so much. So I have to ask you, and I have to ask me, I have to look in the mirror. Am I engaged in the mission of God to be a fisher of men? Does my life demonstrate it? If you were to talk about me, I've heard, we, we had a discussion uh, with some friends the other night, and um, someone was mentioning this man that, that is, a, I guess, a Christian speaker, and, and someone said, when I think of him, I think of Jesus. When I think of him, I think of just boldness in, in, in his faith. And, and it makes me think, like, if, if you were to say, if you were to say, when I think of Mark, I think this. Or would you say, yeah, he's super about his, his, his stuff, even his family, his image, his, his whatever. If I was to ask you and your friends, like, do a 360 assessment with all the people, what do you think of? What's the first thing you think of when you think, Dave? What's the first thing of when you think when you think of Tino? What do you think? What is it when you when you, when Rhea comes in your mind? What is it? What is it that pops in your head? And we've got to have a healthy assessment, right? We've got to have a moment uh, with us and God if we're if we're truly focused <clears throat> on His mission. I um, Bill Hybels is a pastor out in Chicago. And uh, he wrote a book called Contagious Christian a, a while back. And he, uh, he wrote about evangelism in this book. And he essentially labeled five different kinds of evangelism. And this helped me greatly because what I often think about when I read through the scriptures is that, like, I'm not as bold as these guys. I'm not as confrontational as these guys. And uh, what Bill said, and, and I, I tend to agree, is that there's five different, like, styles of evangelism, five different ways it kind of shows up in your life. And I want to show those uh, one by one to you uh, on the screen, if you will. The first one's confrontational. <laughs> it seems negative, doesn't it? <laughs> because most of you think of it as negative. And uh, the truth is that there are some people in this world uh, who have the gift of evangelism. They could walk into a crowd and just start preaching, right? How many of you are on that list? Yep, that's what I thought, right? There's like, a, uh, there's a number of us that would say that's terrifying, right? This is, a, I'm walking down short north, and I, I, I feel like God has identified someone that I need to speak to, and I need to, I need to ask them, where they stand with the Lord. I was, I was hearing a story from a friend this, even this morning about how uh, this guy went to a pizza shop and he's there ordering his pizza and then he, st- <laughs> he like pays and then he stops and he says, hey, do you, do you know what happens if you die today? 
<laughs> yeah, some of you are like, <gasps> you know, and, and the truth is that that is a style that is effective. Now, some of you would say it's ineffective, maybe because that's not your style. But I would say it's absolutely needed. It's not my style, but I would say that I need to probably be more brave in this area. This is Peter, man. This is Peter walking out to a crowd and saying, this Jesus who you crucified, he's the one who saves, right? This, this Jesus who you crucified, he is putting it on them. It's not just people. Like, all of us kind of feel like we don't have guilt in Jesus' crucifixion. No, these people crucified Jesus. And he says, no, 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 you actually put him on the cross, but I want to tell you that cross actually saves you. And he was able to boldly go proclaim, and thousands came to Christ. There's a church in Hilliard. Uh, it's called Guide Church, and he's, he's in our network of churches. And I remember they, they moved here. They didn't move here with a network. They didn't move here. They, they moved from their homes in another state, a couple in their family, and just moved here, got homes. And the only thing they knew to do uh, was go door to door and asking people. Now, some of you, I mean, can we just be real? Like, some of you are big proponents for this. And some of you are like, if you show up on my door, right, and you ask me if I'm going to heaven or hell, there's a good chance your nose is going to hurt because that, 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 <laughs> that door is going to get slammed. It's a slip. Uh, <laughs> uh, that door is going to get slammed, and it's going to smack you right in the nose. And, uh, and, and, and the truth is that, that this church in Hilliard was able to see all kinds of people come to Christ. And all he's, here's what he told me. All kinds of people were sitting in their, in their homes, didn't have a church, but they were Christians and they were looking for one. It's incredible. But for those of you who are like, nope, <laughs> let me give you another style. Number two, invitational. Um, this is the person who um, is inviting someone to church, inviting someone to a small group. This is, this is someone who's constantly recruiting people for, this is just a different side of evangelism. And I want to be very clear, because what we're talking about is, is there's different kind of modes of evangelism. There's the, the conversating about, about Jesus' message, which is just the, the, the absolutely like the base level. There's the inviting people to church where they'll hear about Jesus, which maybe even sparks some conversations there. There's the inviting someone to a small group where they're going to hear, you know, this Bible study. Like, we have a small group right now, and, and it meets at my house on Wednesday nights. We'd love to invite you if, you're, if you'd be open to that at 6.30. Um, and you invite someone to a small group, and maybe that's a, a less threatening, but whatever it is, you are taking a step to invite someone um, to, to church or to small group or something like that. Maybe that's your style, right? All it is is maybe just a, uh, just sliding something across the table, like an invite, you know, and saying, hey, maybe you go to a restaurant, and maybe you'd, you'd slide an invite to church on the, you know, with a tip. Hopefully it's a good tip, right? Like, don't give a bad tip and then invite people to church. That's awful, right? Um, so maybe this, maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. Um, and that ought to be all of us. Number three is relational. Um, this is the person that is trying to build, um, to essentially earn the right to be heard. Um, and this is, this is confrontational and relational are, are almost two different kinds of people, right? Am I right? Like, if you are the kind of person that when you think of, like, knocking on someone's doors and then, like, hi, Let's talk about eternity, and that freaks you out. This is probably maybe more along your line. Like you're thinking coworkers, family members, neighbors, stuff like that, like that you have a little bit more buy-in with already. They have buy-in with you. They have trust with you. And you would say that like you can, 
you can have a conversation with them. Maybe you can kind of combine these two and you invite someone over for dinner and you, you're able to bring that conversation up lightly. You maybe say like, yeah, we go to a church that, that, that does this and we really want to bring change to the city. We want to serve the city. Um, but like this is, this is the person who is, I'm going to tell you just for me right now, what I am experimenting with is, uh, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm going to give you a challenge at the end of the sermon that I'm going to double up on myself, um, but I have been earning um, the right to be heard with people all over this city, and I'm going to start handing out invites to church um, like this week, okay? Um, because like baristas at Starbucks or gas station attendants or stuff like that, or maybe it's someone that we had over for dinner that maybe we didn't put the, you know, the ask out just yet, but with Easter coming up, we're going we're gonna to slide out some invites because we've earned the right to be heard. Maybe that's you. Okay, so number four um, is service. This is, this is the person who um, maybe you are the kind of person that would love to uh, rake someone's yard right? You're like rake a neighbor's yard or, or when it's snowing. How many of you love shoveling? You don't. Oh, some of you do. Okay. Some of you love shoveling. Maybe, 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 okay. Maybe you shovel your neighbor's driveway. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know that we're going to get any. Praise, praise God for the warm weather lately, and I hope I'm not jinxing this right now, but I feel like maybe we've lost our opportunity for more snow. I know I just jinxed it, so I'm sorry. And you'll all send me hate tweets as soon as, like, next week happens and, and the weather changes. But, um, but the truth is sometimes those of us serve. Maybe we buy someone's coffee right behind us, and we say, yeah, I just wanted to, just wanted to you know, share a random act of kindness and and all this kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is, I'll tell you what a good one is, is like a plate of chocolate chip cookies to your neighbor. Like just saying, hey, just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood, or just, hey, I haven't gotten to know you yet, and we just, we just wanted to say hi, and just that we love you, whatever, you know, something simple, something, something easy, you know. So number four, and then number five is intellectual. Those of you that love to debate, which uh, that is uh, super not me, um, those of you who love to get in a comment section, you know, whatever, um, like the comment section is the seventh layer of hell, I believe, on Facebook. Uh, so if this is you, go for it. Uh, but I will not join you, uh, and I will not be there. Um, but this is the people who come to Christ on the intellectual basis. We, this, uh, this last Wednesday night at Small Group, we talked about um, the movie uh, The Case for Christ, where uh, Lee Strobel uh, went on this journey of, like, he was an atheist, and he believed uh, with, with evidence that there was, there was no good evidence for Christ. And he went to go look to disprove God, couldn't, and then God just changed his life miraculously. And that's how some people come to Christ. That's how some people, so maybe that's you. Maybe you're the type of person that when, when Peter says, in first, I think it's 1 Peter 3.15, always have an answer, or a defense is, is the Greek word, like apologia, for, for the hope that you have within you. This is you, man. This is you. This is like, well, let me tell you, I don't know, I don't know that I truly believe that Jesus is this and this and this. And you'd say, no, no, I've studied this. Let's talk about it. And you, you come to, you help people come to Christ on the base of, of like the intellect. Um, I want you to find yourself in one of these. I want you to find yourself in one of these because the truth is we've been called to share the gospel. The Great Commission is not if you, if you get to it, uh, I want you to maybe share the gospel, maybe make disciples, maybe baptize them, maybe teach them to observe what I've commanded you. It's, it's as you're going. It's not even go. It's not like drop everything. It's like as you're going. So like today, as you're going to the restaurant, as you're going home, as you're going to the gym, as you're going to to, to work, as you're working, all that stuff, make sure that you're on mission, right? Make sure that you're living on mission. 
And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And, and what I want to do right now is spark something because I don't have a tool to put in your hand right now. And I would love to have some tools, and I hope maybe you guys can help me with that. Tell me what you're experiencing. Tell me what your, what your fears are. Tell me what would help, right? If it's a, if it's a there, there's all kinds of resources out there. And the truly, the, the Southern Baptists have tons of resources for us if we would use them. And so if you will engage God's mission with me, we're going to put some resources together and we're going to be able to do this. But God, I don't want you to wait for the resources because the, tr- the truth is what you need is not like the internet because the, the apostles didn't have the internet. They didn't have cards, right? They didn't have uh, tracks. Uh, God bless them. Uh, they, they didn't have any of that stuff. They had prayer, right? Boldness and obedience. That's what they had. And so, so when I say that we want to guide people to experience life in Jesus Christ, inherent in our mission is that you would experience it yourself and then guide other people to experience it. Because people don't know what it looks like to experience life in Jesus Christ. And we need to as well. That's why we put a foundation of repentance in this season. And we are going to go forward with boldness to guide people to experience life in Jesus Christ that starts with evangelism. It just does. It just does. And uh, I, I want to say that maybe we're, we're weak in this area um, and that we ought to shore that up. I think we lose our opportunity to be a life-giving church in this community when we say no to evangelism. I think we lose our opportunity to be a life-changing, uh, like a spirit-filled believer. I think, our, I think our relationship with Jesus is actually disjointed when we say no to God's mission. It's hard. I get it. It's hard. It's scary. We're afraid. But the truth is we've got, we've got to get on board with the things that God cares about. And if you, check it out, if you are not on board with the things that God cares about, you ought to reevaluate what it is that we're doing. You know what I mean? Like, if we're a Christ follower, right, if we are a disciple of Jesus, we are following in his footsteps, are we actually, do we have a relationship with God or is it a religion? Are we just kind of waiting to get to the end so we can get to heaven? Whew, glad that's over. I don't want, I'll say this on a personal note, I don't want to get to the end of 2018 and look back and think, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could, I could have actually talked to people that I met at Starbucks. I could have actually talked to people that I met at the gym, but I didn't because I was busy, because I was afraid, because I had a meeting to start. Like, I, I get schedules. I get it. Um, but if we get to the end of our lives and we're part of that 97%, that 97%, when I hear Jesus say that there's a wide road leading to destruction and there's a, there's a narrow road leading to life, like that narrow road looks a ton like people who are actually, actually engaged with God's mission. And that wide road looks like people who have a religion, not a relationship. That's what I think. I think there's going to be a ton of people that went to church all their lives and refused to get on board with God. I, I don't mean, I, I'm not trying to just like scare you. I'm, I am trying to say that, that we're either going to be engaged with God's mission or we're not. Okay. And, uh, and I, I, re- I refuse to get to the end of the year and think we could have gone harder. 
In November of 1934, I want to tell you this story, an evangelist named Mordecai Ham was preaching in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I mean, this guy was a preacher, so he did this often, but little did he know that there was a 16-year-old in that crowd that would eventually get saved. And that 16-year-old, I didn't, this will tell you how hard churches were back, back in that day. This 16-year-old had actually tried to join a church in a youth group, and they denied it, rejected him because he was too worldly. <laughs> And uh, little did, did Mordecai know that there was a young uh, Billy Graham in the crowd. And uh, he was saved that night. And he gave his life to Jesus that night. He was surrendered. And uh, from that point forward, he would go on to preach. Obviously, you've, you've heard the, the, the kind of the tribute to Billy. And you've probably seen uh, stories about Billy Graham all over uh, this week as, as he passed away this week. But I think about the influence that, that Mordecai had just because he was obedient. And the person that was involved in, in Mordecai's salvation. You know, the, the people, I think about the people that were, were deeply involved in, in, in my salvation, that had conversations that they probably were, were a little nerve-wracking. They probably were a little nervous to sit down with me and say, hey, what do you think? I think about my friends, right, in high school that had the boldness enough to say, hey, I wanted to talk to you about church. Would you want to come? I know that you go on Sunday mornings, but you're not really... Like, would you want to come on Wednesday nights and, like, come over to my house? Like, we have a group and, and all this kind of stuff. I think about the, like, uh, is, it, is, there any more ner- is there anything more nerve-wracking than being a teenager and then, and then doing that? Like, everything is so new and everything's so, you know, like, as an adult, you would think things are a little different, but obviously we, 97%, right? So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I'm challenging uh, myself um, to have one gospel conversation with someone on sawmill in this city each day, each day. And I'm going to challenge you to have one gospel conversation with someone on sawmill each week, okay? So what I'm asking you to do, if we are going to be a part of this church and we are going to have an influence in this city, I want you to start doing a couple things. I want you to literally plan, intentionally wake up, with the idea that you're going to go somewhere, and maybe you're the confrontational, <laughs> and you're just going to go to a crowd and be like, all right, listen up, Coles. We're going to have a conversation. You know, They're probably going to ask you to leave, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know where you are, where you work, where, you know, but I'm, I'm, obviously where you work and where you live and the gym that you go, that's fine. But if we're going to reach this city, I'm asking you to actually sacrifice some time, sacrifice some planning, and maybe it's relational, maybe it's service, whatever it is, and I'm asking you once a week to be intentional about sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe it's inviting them to church, right? Start, start a little easier than just sharing the gospel, maybe. Maybe you're walking up to a barista and you're paying attention to their name tag, and, and the next time you go in, you say, hey, Ann, how's it going, you know? Hey, Xavier, how's it going? You know, like, did you have a good day? Well, it's cold outside, you know, whatever. And, and start the conversation. Um, and uh, I want you to learn names and remember stories. And I want you to do that. I want you to maybe take chocolate chip cookies to your neighbor. I want you to the person when you walk in the gym and you say hi to, as you, as you scan your card, I want you to say hi to them, learn their name. You know, I, 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 <clears throat> I actually intentionally and very practically want you to start having gospel conversations. So the challenge is one a week. So I expect that next week we're going to come and be able to share stories on Sunday, right? On day 14 of our fast. If there's any time, if there's any time for us to engage God's mission, why not start in the middle of a fast, uh, a season of prayer, and, uh, and let's see what God does.
Because what I believe is that God has a desire to reach this city. And I don't think you have any clue what God wants to do through your life and ministry. I mean, who would have known that the young 16-year-old, Mordecai Ham, no doubt, probably saw thousands of people come up and talk to him after services. A 16-year-old boy. Do you think he knew that this young boy would grow up to impact millions? Millions. Who would impact billions, right? Because all that spans out, right? My grandpa told me about Billy Graham. You know what I mean? And my grandpa, you know, shared his faith with me early, early on. My parents shared their faith early on with me. Maybe, maybe some of that boldness rubbed off on them. And maybe what's going to happen is there's going to be a success story in this room. And next Sunday, that success story is going to give you a little more boldness and a little more boldness. And little, it's practical that way, right? We're going to do this as a community because we're all in this together, right? So if this happens, I want you to share some. If, if it happens and, and, and you want to share about it, maybe share on our private Facebook page just for our, kind of our family conversations. That's great. I think you should do it. But I'm challenging you. I'm not saying if you feel like it. I'm saying if you want to engage in God's mission, let's do it. Okay, can we get down with that? Crickets, got it. Okay, uh, can we get down with that? Can we actually be bold and have one gospel conversation? It could be at lunch right after church with a server. I, uh, I was um, invited to an event this week and, and a bunch of our church planners in our network and the guys who were kind of coordinating us. Um, Rich Halcom is, is the, the associational missionary for our, our kind of county association of churches, and he's a, he's a beast. He's a gospel-sharing machine. He's a church-planning machine. He's a missionary. He's, when, I, when I'm around him, I'm just soaking up what he's given off. So, so we were at uh, dinner, and uh, then we were going to uh, the Price is Right Live of all places. That was interesting. And uh, and we, we all piled in uh, an Uber together in like a minivan. And uh, I had not only Rich Halcom, who is coordinating all of his church planners, but Dean Folks, who is the lead pastor of LifePoint Church, who's also coordinating. And, and I would, my, my eyes were open and my ears were open because I was like, what happens when these guys get in a car in an Uber? I said, I know what Rich Halcom's getting. Rich Halcom was in the front seat, and I think he picked it on purpose. Um, and, and so here's what happens. He's just asking questions. And it's not, he, listen, he didn't get in confrontational and be like, hey, thanks for the Uber. Can we talk about your eternity? He didn't do that. And I, listen, if that's your style, go for it. Uh, but he, here's what he did. He's like, hey, where are you from? He talks about how he's from Colorado and, and all this kinds. Of, he moved back because some family stuff shifted. And, and he's just like, okay, so like, do you, how well do you know Columbus? How, how long have you been Ubering? How does Ubering work? And he's having this conversation. And, um, and I saw as we were getting out, and he had not mentioned church or Jesus or God or anything yet. And I was like, hmm, I'm waiting. And I was getting, I was the last one out because it's a minivan, third row, and I was all the way back in the back. And the fa- it's always interesting to watch the fat guy get out the back seat of a van. It's just entertaining. So uh, I thought that Rich was standing there just maybe being entertained by my, my belly trying to get around. But uh, he was standing there, and I thought, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. So I shut the door behind me, and then he opens up the front seat, and he's just like, hey, man, Jesus loves you. I just wanted to let you know, blah, blah, blah. And he started having a conversation, and I I wasn't like, you know, peeking my head in, so I didn't hear everything, but I was like, there it is. This is a man who's serious about God's mission. And I was so encouraged to be there because as a guy who sometimes is is afraid to step out, uh, it was good to have a good example. 
It was good, it was good to hear that good example this morning of, of the pizza shop, you know, and that, that you know, this, these are success, success stories of, uh, of our faith. So I'm, I'm challenging all of us to get engaged in it. One week. If you want to go more, go for it. Go hard. I'm ready. Uh, I've got, I want to tell you this. I've got a list of people that I've met over the last couple months. I'm going to go through the list. And that's my goal. If you'll walk with me. Or we can do the religion. It's up to you. Let's pray. God, we, um, the season of fasting has just been a moment for us to stop, to surrender, to just to get real about our need for you. And so God, in this moment, we just, we're going we're gonna to lay our fears at the altar right now, and we're going to walk out without them. We're going to lay our reasons to not at the altar right now. In just this moment of humble submission, we want to ask you to give us the boldness and the bravery because we know that fear will sneak back in. It'll follow us out the door. We get it. Uh, But God, I'm asking you to give us the boldness. I'm asking you to give me a boldness because I have not yet had a conversation with someone today. It's going to happen. Lord, I'm asking you to give me the boldness and the bravery. I'm asking you to speak. Lord, I remember times in the New Testament where, where you said that you give us the words to speak when the hour comes to call us to that kind of thing. I believe that, that everything that you've led us up to this point points to that. I think there's no surprise that we are working where we're working, living where we're living. And so God, I pray that you would help us engage our neighborhoods, our jobs, people around us. Lord, let us be people who are engaged with your mission, humbly submitted to you, And we'll lay all of that in your feet because we know you're powerful and you're mighty and you have a desire to see people in this city come to faith in you. That's what we know. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.